Well, welcome. I'm Somerset Winters Thoreau, and this is the Space Biff Book Space. Space Biff Book Space. Space, 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 space. Nice. It's our 111th episode or something like that. Yeah, it's getting yeah. Is it? in that I neighborhood. Think, I think so. It's something like that. Oh, cool. <laughs> it feels like that, right? <laughs> well, today, today we're talking about the book. You didn't introduce us. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Sorry. There's other people here with me. I'm not the only one. Uh, there's me, Somerset, which who I already introduced myself, and then there's Dan, hi, Thera, and Hello. also Brock. Hello, that's me. Yeah, that we're we're all here together as always. He's the better half. I guess, yeah of this. Can of he this be a half trifecta? Sure, if he's half of our total mass. That makes me a lot of person. Well, he's not really large. No, but he's like, he's like dense. <laughs> that is true. Like, like tightly corded. Wow. Right. Okay. Yeah. All like right, like can... Luke Cage or something. <laughs> yeah, I was I was born on a planet with uh, much stronger gravity. Oh yeah, makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jupiter. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That this is all very on topic because we're talking about ancillary justice by Anne Leckie which was a Nebula Award winner in 2014 and also the Arthur C. Clarke Award of that same year. Pretty impressive. I just read that off of the cover. Yeah, there's like a sticker. Yeah. And uh, so first, I'd like to hear how you both would rate this book. And remember, we're doing a thumbs up or a thumbs down. There's no middle thumbs. Right. And we need a descriptor word. Okay. Who's ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Do we do it simultaneously? Yeah, we do the thumbs simultaneously. But we can't see Brock. Yeah. We have, oh, yeah. We have no video today. Right. We're not <laughs> videoing. We're using a new podcasting medium thing program. Yeah, there we go. We could just take turns. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, Brock, why don't you go first? Okay. Uh, so at around 100 pages... I was prepared to give this an inscrutable thumbs down. Uh, mm. But after after pressing on and finishing the book, I changed it to a labyrinthine thumbs up. Ooh. Nice. That's a good word. Yeah, I thought so. I like it. That's a turnaround. Like <laughs> yes. Um, I would give it 200 thumbs up. Wow. An intensifier. No, no, it's a, it's also a description. It, it, it's thematic. Oh, okay. That, See, okay. Like the See, number of ancillaries. That's how many ancillaries I am. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Do they all look like you? Are um, they like clones or no? No, I don't think that's a thing in You're this right, universe. You're right. It's not. Well, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Do all the ancillaries? There's no way. Okay, we can't say that. We can't say that. That's a spoiler. We don't do spoilers yet. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, I am also a thumbs up. I really like this book. And my descriptor is. I don't even know. I don't like it. I was not prepared. (laughs) 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 Um, I could steal one of these words that's on the cover. Oh, yeah. But I won't. But I won't. That's cheap. (laughs) That is pretty cheap. That is. That's cheating. (laughs) Stolen valor. Uh, okay, okay. Well, moving, we're moving on. <laughs> Brock, do you have some wrong spoilers to share I, with us? I certainly do. Excellent. Um, so I'm assuming we have just a an avalanche of new listeners. Um, just since the uh, the Space Biff uh, board game podcast relaunched, so I, I, I imagine there are some people accidentally listening to this. And for those for those people. Uh, wrong spoilers is a segment where I talk about some things that did not happen and some fake facts about this book. Uh, and as is often the case, there were some alternate titles considered 
for this book. Uh, one of the alternate titles was, is this the first book? Uh, another alternate title was, <laughs> is there another book before this book? <laughs> and, uh, the, the last alternate title considered was ancillary, Ju- ancillary justice, the hard version. Uh, <laughs> um, so the, uh, it's about to get dumb. Um, the first, the first draft. I'm so excited. <laughs> Rock, just go as dumb as you can manage. The first draft of this book was about a network of iPods connected to spaceship stereos. And it was called Auxiliary Justice. <laughs> Rock, you, you really followed orders. <laughs> that was, that was sublimely bad. <laughs> Uh, well, wait till you hear about the second draft of this book, which was about robots who made Mexican food. It was called Ancho Chili Justice. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, well, if that one hurt. This Dan's one. Dan's favorite kind of jokes. This one yeah, is going to put you in the hospital. The third draft was about a hill of robotic insects named after a 2016 presidential candidate who survive on frozen water. And it, it was, oh boy, it was called Ants Hillary Just Ice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be wow. thinking those that sequence wow. of words as I fall asleep for the next week. Good news, there's your new Wi-Fi password. <laughs> yeah, that's a good Wi-Fi password. Oh my gosh, wow. Uh, yeah, so those are those are some wrong spoilers. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you. I yes, really like my that. pleasure. Okay, all right, and now we're moving on to the synopsis, where there may or may not be some actual spoilers. Yes, if you have so not if- read Ancillary Justice, just be aware that I actually have a college degree in uh, synopsipoding. And that's the official word. That's how that's how synopsipodes call themselves. Um, you probably aren't aware. We're very elite and a little snobbish. You can't get in to that school. Don't try. Yes. It's too hard. Applications are closed. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so here I go. This is going to be. The Ancelopsis Justipopsis. <laughs> oh, heavens. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is six pages long. Oh, All right. Just so you're aware. Single spaced. I'm looking at it now. Oh, man. That's, that's okay. how synopsis do it. <laughs> it's, I'm basically just reading the book. <laughs> that's the best synopsis is when you just... No. Yeah, this is an abridged audiobook, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> On an ice planet in the far future, Brick strides toward a helicopter store and finds someone frozen naked in the snow. Oh my. She's on a mission, so she prepares to step over her, only to realize it's Sivarden, one of the officers from, well, before. <gasps> she goes into the helicopter store to order a helicopter. She's all, one helicopter, please. <laughs> Also, that person out there, she's hurt. Give me a medical kit to take care of her. Can you tell she's a robot, basically? Oh okay, anyway. Gosh. Yeah. The, sh- the shopkeeper stares at Brick. She's all, she, Roach Chai? You mean that dude with the frozen dick? <laughs> <laughs> she's all, no, she. Don't pester me with your pronouns. A medical kit. And make sure it's fully stocked. She's all, fine, here's your medical kit and a helicopter key, pass card, wristband. What do you put into a helicopter to turn it on? (laughs) Whatever it is, here it is. Brick goes out and takes care of Sivarden, bundling her up and applying the medical kit to her injuries. Then she takes off in the helicopter, wondering to herself why she brought her with her. (laughs) (laughs) Is it because of a debt? some connection to her that she can't shrug off. The helicopter warning light interrupts her thoughts. Guess Brick made a bad deal. She sets down, careful to avoid the ice devils, then lifts Sivarden onto her back and starts walking. 
After a while, another helicopter sets down, filled with people from the village who mean to rob her. They stand in a straight line, hands lingering over their holsters. Before the Western music can kick in, Brick shoots them, loots their corpses, and then stuffs Sivardin into her brand new helicopter and takes off again. <laughs> yeah, convenient. Take that. At last she reaches her destination, a futuristic cabin hidden in the ice. Some jerk has left the door open, which is making the place extra cold. <laughs> Brick takes Sivardin in and looks around. Nobody. She pokes an egg on the table. It's cold, because the door is open. <laughs> Brick's all, she was here recently. She must have seen me coming. My quest has failed. Then she places her head in her hands and starts weeping. Does she? I don't remember. <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying it happened, aren't I? I'm the synopsis. <laughs> On a swamp planet in the far future, minus 19 years, three months, and one week, Brick sexually identifies as a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, she's and a, physically. Yes. <laughs> she's a troop carrier for the Roach Empire, named Justice of Torin. The Empire has recently annexed the swamp planet Shishurna for some reason and are in the process of persuading their hut-dwelling fisher people to pay galactic taxes, ideally in roach credits, rather than Shishurnan hergelfish. <laughs> <laughs> Down on the surface of the planet, Lieutenant On is speaking with the high priest of the local temple, which we're told is basically the swamp planet version of Mecca, even though it has a population of 2,000 swamp people. <laughs> Lieutenant On is all... I'm glad the occupation is going so well, High Priest. A little more time, and maybe I'll be given a new assignment, somewhere less swampy. <laughs> the High Priest nods High Priestly. She's all, I wouldn't be so sure. We specifically requested you to stay in this posting, Lieutenant On. The people like you. There has been so little death since. She trails off, remembering the horror of the Roach invasion. Lieutenant On gestures at her. She's all, yes, well... I would like to avoid any such bloodshed in the future. I think you may be confusing people by saying roach because they're not insects. That's the name of their empire. Don't be a bigot. When she leaves the high priest's house, she's escorted by a bunch of Brick's ancillaries, human prisoners that have been lobotomized and transformed into a hive mind for the ships in orbit. Brick sees through their eyes and feels with their fingers. Another roach officer approaches. His name is Lieutenant Skyat. He flirts with Lieutenant On by telling her that her house is minor, and her possibilities for advancement are incredibly limited, and she must be cautious or she won't receive any promotion. <laughs> Lieutenant On is ragingly turned on. <laughs> she takes Lieutenant Skyat back to her place for sex. They make Brick watch. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's my interpretation of events. Wow. Right. Over the next week, Lieutenant On uncovers a conspiracy. One of the locals approaches her with information about a box of weapons. But all weapons were confiscated upon the roach conquest of Shishurna, and in the far future, nobody has smelters or 3D printers or even highly elastic bungee cords. <laughs> Lieutenant On goes out to the swamp and has one of Brick's ancillaries dredge the water. There they discover a bunch of weapons. Worse, when they check those weapons, they learn that they were already checked in and destroyed during the occupation. <gasps> Lieutenant On is all, Justice of Torin, could time travel be a component of this science fiction universe? <laughs> Brick's all, highly unlikely, Lieutenant. Unless you're talking about instantaneous travel through jump gates, which would technically allow information to be passed faster than the speed of light, which would therefore be a form of time travel and completely unravel the theory of relativity. <laughs> She's all, oh dear, that means someone is trying to cause trouble with all these weapons. And it's someone on the inside. <gasps> she calls up Lieutenant Skyat. She's all, is this a booty call? <laughs> oh wait sorry. is this a booty call she's all you need to be careful lieutenant on if your accusation is true someone who outranks us both is responsible for these weapons being here and she will likely get you in trouble for uncovering her conspiracy later anander Bayani, the lord of the roach announces that she is coming to shishurna wait, what did you say her name is anander my annie 
<laughs> yep, that tracks. She's the Lord of the Roach. Yeah. She announces you. that she is coming to Shoshurna to inspect the Swamp Mecca. I thought you said that her name was like Anander Banani, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I will now refer to her as Anander Banani because my wife has corrected my pronunciation. <laughs> it's a tricky one. Sidebar, Anander Banani is a hive mind. <laughs> One person who inhabits many millions of bodies in order to administrate the roach. She's a busybody and a control freak, but nobody does anything about it because there's so many of her. Anyway, she shows up to micromanage Lieutenant Ahn's handling of the swamp planet. Before long, the upper-class swamp people blame the lower-class swamp people for killing one of their upper-class swamp people friends. <laughs> they descend on the lower-class swamp people city, ready to do violence. Anander Banani takes no responsibility for this riot, even though she's in charge. And then, after a conspicuous shared glance with the upper-class swamp person ringleader, orders Lieutenant Ahn to fire on the unarmed crowd. Lieutenant Ahn hesitates but complies. Or, well, technically, Brick kills them, but Lieutenant Ahn gave the order. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. These roach people are pretty... Colonial. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> the sins of empire themes <laughs> back in the far future brick waits at the ice cabin its owner sneaks back in the dead of night meaning to kill brick and Sivarden while they sleep she points a gun at brick and is all what are you doing here roach she's all i'm not a roach she's all you speak like a roach she's all i'm not a roach she's all that one's a roach Sivarden's all she's pointing at me what is she saying about me she's all <laughs> Put your gun down and we can talk about roaches. She's all, okay. <laughs> that was confusing. She's. <laughs> they get to talking. Turns out the owner of the ice cabin, whose name is Stragon, was a collector of rare artics from Garset. Sidebar, Garset was a planet totally destroyed by the roach chai many thousands of years ago. The Garset I bought guns from the Presley. Sidebar, sidebar. The Presley are powerful aliens who could easily beat humanity, but who have a treaty with different species as long as they consider them significant. Anander Banani an, an made a treaty with them, <laughs> although lots of humans resent that the Roach Empire made a treaty on behalf of all humanity. Back one sidebar. The Garcetti used the Presley guns to destroy one of the big Roach ships. In retaliation, Anander Banani unordered the entire system destroyed. Unfortunately for Strigan, one of the artifacts she uncovered was one of the powerful Presley guns that can penetrate Roach armor, so she fled to the ice planet to hide. Oh. <sighs> Ooh. Because they're they're like footnotes. Oh, yeah, you're supposed to everyone taking that information at a glance. Or everyone knows that. Or they're like the songs in the Lord of the Rings where you're like italics and then they're like back to back to Frodo. Give that sort <laughs> stuff again. They like sang in a tavern. <laughs> Strigan turns to Brick. She's all you're a roach, but you want a gun that can kill roaches. Tell me why. She's all, let me tell you the entire story. I had a lieutenant I cared about, even though I was a spaceship named Justice of Torrent. Her name was Lieutenant On. The Lord of the Ratch came to her. She was all, hey, I can tell you hesitated about killing the civilians. Why would you do that? She was all, I will do anything you command, Lord. But then she was all, you found my weapons, which I was going to use to cause an uprising against myself. You work for her, don't you? Are you her agent? Did she send you? She was all, no, I don't know who she is. Are you speaking about the swamp woman from the upper city? And she was all, no, that's not her. I'm talking about her. She was all, are you talking about the high priest? But she's ally she was all no i'm not talking about her i'm talking about me she was all me she was like no me and then she turned to one of my ancillaries and she was all she's a traitor shoot her and i was all which one and she was all her so i shot her <laughs> stragon and Sivarden stare at brick after a long pause stragon is all wait who brick is all i shot her stragon nods sagely she's all i see <laughs> Sivarden looks back and forth between them. She's all, did she say something about me? <laughs> they both ignore her, which causes her to get huffy and walk out. After drinking a lot of tea, Strigan gives, gives the Presley gun to Brick. Make sure to kill her with it, she says. If only, Brick says, I already killed her. Strigan is all, no, not her, the other her. Brick nods. She's all, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> one of the goals of a synopsopoda is to make a confusing story clearer <laughs> you're doing a, a bang up job yes that's i was just gonna say bang up job that's exact phrase. i feel like bang up is a contronym and it could mean either a good jump or i'm breaking it. <laughs> 
Oh, I'll just keep going. Exactly. I know which one I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) She leaves the ice cabin on foot, thinking she'll walk to the spaceport at the equator. Apparently no one knows how big planets are. Along the way, (laughs) Barton catches up and gets mad at her for leaving her. Brick's, Brick asks what she thinks of her, and Sivarden says she must be from special circumstances here to save her. To prove her loyalty, Sivarden falls into an alien precipice. <laughs> <laughs> to prove she doesn't have full control over her body, Brick falls into the precipice, too. They fall one million miles, but Brick <laughs> raises her armor and catches Sivarden. They crash into the ground below, and everything goes black. Oof. In the far future, minus 19 years, we learn what really happened. Anander Banani had a disagreement with herself over what they did to the Garset system, and she's been waging a subconscious war against herself ever since. Lieutenant Ahn was caught up in their machinations and was ordered killed by uh, Anander Banani by Brick's hand, but back when Brick was a spaceship. Then Brick shot Anander Banani, but only some of them since there are a lot. One of the bricks got into an escape pod while Anander Banani exploded the Justice of Torin and all the other bricks. The lone brick became the brick we know, hell-bent on revenge against Anander Banani. Everything is now clear. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Back in the far future, Brick wakes up in the hospital with Sivarden. They're both pretty much fine. They take a transport ship to Roach Space with the Presley gun hidden away in Brick's luggage. Sivarden still assumes Brick is here to save her since she's from an ancient royal family that no longer exists. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> there could be another sidebar there, but I don't care about Sivarden. <laughs> <laughs> After a year of travel, they arrive at Omaha Palace, one of the Lord of the Roach's main governing centers. They faff about for 300 pages, seeing tourist sites and talking about the evils of colonialism and trying different tea varietals. <laughs> They also meet Lieutenant Skyat, who once knew Lieutenant On, although Brick conceals her true nature from everybody. Yeah. Except Psyche, they're called into an audience with two Anander Bananis. <laughs> <laughs> the Anander Bananis are all, Hi, Justice of Torin. We know it's you. Then one of them sings a song that mind controls Brick. It's about fish and lemongrass. And then she goes, the Anander Banani on the left always tells the truth, and the Anander Banani on the right always lies. Shoot the one who would tell you that 100 kilograms of potatoes when dehydrated from 99% water to 98% water results in 50 kilograms. Oh, man. What a conundrum. Brick takes a while to shoot them. (laughs) But then she does. She shoots one of them. Sivarden's all, ate her swollen tits. (laughs) What do you want me to do now, Brick? Oh my gosh. (laughs) They begin massacring their way through Omaha Palace, killing Anander Bananis left and right. (laughs) Eventually it becomes clear that some Anander Bananis are trying to get on a ship to destroy the palace and prevent the news of her civil war against herself from reaching the other stations where more of her are and tear apart her roach empire. (sighs) Brick gets on a shuttle and goes out, but is attacked by a space swarm of Anander Bananis. <laughs> she shoots her own ship and makes it explode, killing all the extra Anander Bananis in the universe. <laughs> no, just on the ship. Oh, okay. Just there. I'm not sure you understood it. <laughs> when she wakes up, she's in a hospital with Sivarden and Anander Banani. Anander Banani is all, she was wondering when you would get up. Brick turns to Sivarden. She's all, I knew you cared. Sivarden is all, I do. <laughs> Anander Banani is all, no, not her, me, the other me. Sivarden is all, are you two talking about me? <laughs> Anander Banani is all, well, I'm having a civil war with myself. Hope you're happy. Lots of me are dying. Millions of me, millions of me, millions of me, millions of roaches too. <laughs> Brick smiles. That's exactly what I wanted, to kill as many of her as possible. Are you going to torture me now? Execute me? She's all, execute you? What? Why would I do that? That's not how I govern this massive empire. I'm going to give you a warship and have you go cause more trouble. Brick nods. She understands completely. The end. Yay. That was a great synopsis i hope everyone who didn't read the book is now just like what 
I don't need to read it now. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward when you when you really think about I bet, it. I bet Anne Leckie is pissed that I so succinctly <laughs> distilled everything. Yeah. That could have been the award-winning book right there. It's that six pages. I could have won the Hugo Award. Oh, man. What could have been? Well, it was the Nebula and the Earth. She also won the Clark's. Hugo. Oh, yeah. All right. They're all things. Good job. Good job, Dan Lecky. And good job, Dan. Thank you, Brock. So. All right. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dan. Or Brock. What were you going to say? Oh, um, no, I was about to jump to discussion, but we're not there yet. Right. The next thing is bad takes. And I'm just going to look at this first one on Amazon.com. Customer reviews. This is a place where you often find good takes, so I'm surprised that there are any bad takes there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so right. Summer is going to so, read the one bad so, take from all of Amazon.com. Well, no, okay. just I just the very first, this very first one, the very first two, I feel are well actually a lot of them my goodness actually a lot of these are all one stars the very first reviews well, i clicked one star oh did you yeah oh i sorted it that way well, do then it. never mind okay so <clears throat> a lot of these say cumbersome writing ponderous lumbering i gave up this is a typical sentence from this book and it gives one of the confusing sentences but i don't think any of these people are getting the point because the person who is telling this story is an AI. She's a robot. And of course her sentences would be like this and she would have trouble with gender and things like that. So all these people are not understanding that that was part of the writing technique. Well, I want to read this one. Okay, it says, did not enjoy cumbersome <laughs> writing attached to a Potterson notion and badly sprung and lumbering plot. Has the Hugo become some sort of sci-fi postmodernist Turner prize asking for a friend. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I would, if you have a Patreon that is just for you recording a podcast in that voice, I will gladly subscribe. <laughs> That would be my, that would be so exhausting. Yeah, to talk would, like that. painful. His face is like red. <laughs> I uh, I have a policy that anytime anyone says asking for a friend, that is so overdone that that's the voice I hear it in. Asking for a friend. <laughs> oh boy. Yep, that's the title of your podcast: asking for a friend. <laughs> cumbersome writing <laughs> so oh, wow. it is very confusing but it's because the 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 uh what am i protagonist the protagonist who is whose point of view you are reading is an ai that used to be this huge ship in control of like hundreds of brains basically and now she's been disintegrated into just one single ancillary one single person when she used to be like so much more complex of a being and then she's trying to pretend to be human and she you know she fools a lot of people i mean that's the point that's the, why the writing is like that right it so, is and it is difficult but that's kind of how yeah. i mean that's how i understood what was going on so here's 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 a question then so just just as a counterpoint so i agree completely and i really like this book as you already heard i gave it 200 thumbs up um <laughs> but but does that necessarily forgive it being such a pain in the ass to read sometimes <laughs> So, like, for instance, I know, Brock, you really were struggling with it early on. Oh, yeah. Um, and this was my second time reading it, so it was a lot easier. Mm -hmm. The first time, I remember just being like, what is, who's anyone? Yeah. Right. So, Brock, why don't you, how do you feel about this? So, I, yes, and, and I think that it is cumbersome, but it's not, it's not a difficult read for lack of skill on Anne Leckie's part. Um I, th I think, uh, Summer, I think you, you pretty much nailed it. It, it is a difficult read because it is a, communicating a, um, a, a difficult sort of perspective of this AI, you know, like you said, that, that was spread over hundreds of minds and is now, uh, 
condensed down into one being. Um, and then there are points in the story where it is, where it is told from, from, a, a um, you know, from an AI that has a whole bunch of ancillaries and it jumps between paragraphs. It, it'll jump across the city, you know? Um, and so, and so there is difficulty, I think in it, but it, I think the, the, uh, I think it strikes a good balance of being challenging and rewarding. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that way on your second read? Did you feel like that, like the reward was greater for having overcome the challenge? Maybe I did like it. <clears throat> I, I how long ago was it that we first read this? When it oh, first years. came out, so it might have been like six years ago, ish when when we first read this. And I remember liking it, but it, it certainly took me a lot longer to read it. And yes, I realized it took me a long time to read it this time too, but I'm in healthcare. And so I'm still really busy right now, even with everything yeah. that's going on. Anywho, circumstances. So, uh, <laughs> but I, but I did find it a little bit easier to read because I understood, I guess I understood more of what was going on because I knew she was a computer. I knew she was in charge of other people, you know, so like when it would jump between, I was here and I was also watching from over here and I was up in this room too. It didn't like, it wasn't, it didn't phase me as much, I guess. On my second read through, I have to say those were some of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Like it, so normally, so, so right now kind of the, uh, the, the common way to write science fiction or fantasy is third person limited uh, perspective mm-hmm. with a really tight focus. So you're in one person's head you can only learn what they learn, see what they see. And I love how it was still third person limited, but kind of tinkering over the edge into omniscient. Um, now you were still limited to that perspective, right. but you're, it's the perspective of someone who at that time was watching through 12 bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of cool to see like multiple angles on a conversation with import, plus being able to see the reactions and kind of the tension in the city from other perspectives outside while that meeting was going on. I mean, like just jumping between all of that information so rapidly and getting a sense for this is what like a God level AI would be computing. Um, I think gave a great amount. Of, I really loved how it would switch between that and then back into just being Breck mm-hmm. who was just so limited and frustrated and, you know, her upbringing, it's not only because she was an AI that she had problems with pronouns. It was also a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. The cultural she, the culture she was built in was the Ratch, and the Ratch doesn't observe pronouns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they don't seem to really worry much about gender at all. And so just, just that switch where, yeah, she has, like, I like how it's so robotic in that nobody ever like waves their hand or smiles or does anything. They all gesture. It uses that one word for basically everything. Um, Whenever a human does something during a conversation, they just gesture. And I love how, how distant and remote that is compared to like, you know, like she cocked her head and smiled. No, she gestured. Like I did not notice that. Because Breck doesn't quite understand it. Um, all, all Breck is seeing is that people are gesturing. She doesn't necessarily understand the import of all those uh, weird things that squishy humans do. And but, I really like that. That's interesting. But when, um, when we're seeing like a full AI, it, it really would get into like even, at, you know, a, an like, eyebrow. Like rate. Exactly. Like every... Um, every indication of mood and intent was, was registered. And that, that's an, that's a really interesting thing I didn't pick up on. Well, I love how even that, it kind of talks about this idea of a surveillance state. Um, And someone like justice of Torrin or one of the station AIs can say, Oh, this person is stressed, but it isn't magic. They can't just read your mind. And yeah, be they like, don't know why. Right. This person is stressed because she's actually a long dead warship here to murder the Lord of the <laughs> right. Ratch. Uh, yeah, the station AI stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So another another one star review that I just kind of glanced at here said that this 
person tried to read the book twice, but the cumbersome use of pronouns makes it hard to imagine what any of the characters look like. But I mean that I mean that's also part of the the AI and about the mm-hmm. the gender issue. I think you should read the it in the right tone. <clears throat> okay, you go ahead. The cumbersome use of pronouns makes it hard to imagine <laughs> what any of the characters look like. <laughs> and you know what? That's okay to me. Like even at the end of the book, the second reading, I was like, "Wait, is Savarden a girl or a guy? Savard- does it matter?" Savarden is male. <laughs> right. It does say that he's male. Yeah, I thought I remembered that, but then in the but then at the end, like they were still using the she, she. pronouns all the time, and I was yeah. like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait." <laughs> but but at the same time, it's kind of like it doesn't matter because we're reading this through justice of Torin's eyes you know through breck's eyes who is an ai and she, she doesn't she's kind of dumb yeah she doesn't himself. realize that <laughs> and you know what that's okay <clears throat> and i kind of like that this is one of the first one of the first books that i read where the pronouns were all she um <laughs> and i really liked i enjoyed that just because you know it's a little bit different science fiction than the majority of science fiction. I mean, we've actually, our group has read a lot of books that are all. Well, yeah, we, we read. Uh, pronouns. Um, Stars or Legion. Meat ships in. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> meat ships. The stars are Legion. This yeah. one, I, I will credit that even if you find that a little bit cumbersome, which you know what I'm going at times it is cumbersome. It is like, there were a lot of times where it says she for Sivarden and I was pausing to go like, but my mental image is a he, and they have clarified that Cybarden yeah. looks like a he, yeah. just not to Breck. And like, so at times it would kind of stutter the flow. Um, but at least th- in its defense, there were no like giving birth to tentacle gears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> the lack of body horror. Yeah, there was no body horror. <clears throat> no, there was not. Anyway, so those were my um, bad takes examples. Uh, So now, Brock, we'll let you take it away with the rest of our discussion. Yeah, so um, two two kind of important uh, concepts come together with those those bad takes. Um, And so a big part of this, I wanted to talk about, you know, what this book has to say about uh, about gender, um, you know, because they're so consistently like every character is, is referred to by she or her, you know, she, her pronouns. Um, there are a few instances where that's corrected. Um, you know, but then like you pointed out, Breck defaults back, uh, to she, um, and I, I was kind of, connecting that to a sort of colonization mindset. Um, and, and my thinking on it, and I want to, I want to hear your thoughts as well is, is kind of that it, it is an approach to the way our media, you know, the, the stories, the entertainment we we've grown up with tends to skew male and tends to sort of, you know, our minds default everyone to male. If you're reading a story, like in in many books, an author has to sort of go out of their way to tell you that a character is female um, because our minds so readily default everyone to male. And I, I wanted to sort of discuss this as a maybe a response to that well i like how a lot of authors these days are trying not to write that way Mm -hmm. and in fact i i want to say that we've read a few books where um pronouns weren't haven't been used and yep. so you have a hard time deciding whether they're male or female. I can't remember. I mean, that does happen in this. Yeah. I mean, like, what is Breck? I don't, I just don't think it matters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Um, so it something similar happens, Brock, that I, um, I, I think there's also a presumption of whiteness. Um, yes. And it's interesting to me that I, I don't know if it's more explicit in the sequels, but I, I did notice a couple of times where it does seem to indicate that everyone is dark skinned. Um, okay. Like the Ratch is not a white empire. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which, which totally, like, I mean, to me, to me, like, so who are the colonial aggressors of history? Well, it's a bunch of pasty dudes. Right. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, you, you picture the Belgians and you picture the British and then you get the Spanish, which are only dark skinned by the former two perspectives. Right. Um, whereas in this, uh, it, it totally ca- catches me off guard the few times they reference like dark, dark skin, um, just because the default image isn't just male, but also white, a white <laughs> male protagonist. Yes. Um and I think the book has a lot to say both on issues of empire. Um, but in terms of that, I mean, I think it's commenting fairly explicitly on the way that uh, one of the ways that empires control things, uh, one of the ways that cultures exert dominance is by establishing what are the norms, um, what constitutes civilization and what constitutes barbarism. Yeah. And, and this is a book that at different times is very preoccupied with telling you sometimes surprising things that are civilized, like wearing gloves, mm-hmm. like to, to ratchet, uh, bare hands are disgusting. They're vulgar, um, maybe intimate. Right. That, where that you would no more go outside with bare hands than a, than a bare phallus, you know, it's just that, wow. that's shocking and disgusting. Um, I don't know if it was that serious of an offense, but okay. Well, I don't know that when they were on the, on the uh, thing and Cy uh, Varden had bare hands, it talks about that he wasn't gesturing at people specifically because he was concealing his hands. Yeah. I mean, so there is some sense that that's a norm and it's a norm that a lot of people don't like, like on the swamp planet, um, they don't, they don't like that kind of thing because they don't like the high collar. They don't like the gloves. Um, but this is something that the Ratch imposes upon people in order to transform their uh, identity of self away from whatever they were and into Ratchai. Yeah. Yeah. That's colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's even more than colonialism. We're making, we're making you civilized. Right. I mean, and it's it's more than even colonialism. I mean, cultures that even aren't colonial empires have entered into clashes of identity like this. Um, but in a way, it's it's older and more insidious than even colonialism. But it's it's almost I don't know if you just sort of a tribalism. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then that you know that getting getting expanded, but it is. Um, that sort of insular, uh, you know, the instinct to gather with people who are like you and uh, attack or fear people who are not. Well, I think it says a lot about the inescapability of it. Consider Breck, how she hates the Ratch. Um, she certainly isn't into Anander Myani. <laughs> and yet wherever she goes, everyone immediately knows she's rad shy. She can't escape the cultural norms of naming conventions and pronouns that she's accustomed to. She's unmistakably marked by the culture of the ratch. Um, even when she would rather not be, um, when she has her ruse, she's just consistently terrified that the, sh- that the system AI, uh, is going to see through it. And she had to pick some, far off you know the guarantee thing where no one had basically been right uh, they like this station had never had a visitor from the guarantee so any slips would be concealed through ignorance um, yeah she has no identity that's really available beyond that of a, a radshai citizen and ship yeah yeah that's an interesting point as well um i there was a line that stuck out to me. Um, and I, of course I didn't write down who, who said it or what the context was, but it, uh, the line is, it bothers you. 
that the Radchai don't have the freedom to destroy their lives or other citizens' lives. Um, you know, and it was uh, sort of talking about the the restrictions placed on the people. Um, but is that uh, is that statement? Does it reflect? Do you think a sort of noble? Uh, well-intentioned uh, set of restrictions or is it justifying the, uh, the tyranny? I think, I think it can be ambiguous. There's a, there's a point early in the book where Breck sort of reproaches somebody um, for being surprised that she should, could show uh, tenderness to a child. And she points out that, okay, well, out here in on the ice world, on Hoth, you think of the Ratch as, <laughs> as evil, right? You, you watch propaganda, um, you watch propaganda films that shows the Ratch as evil, but the Ratch still love their children. Um, they still value things. They're still good. They're still individuals. Um, and I think it's great that it shows us that. I think it's also telling that pretty much everyone meet, we meet from the actual Ratch is sympathetic. Um, And I think that one of the reasons that that's important is because I don't think it's necessarily about individuals. I think, I think that's a deliberate contrast. I think it's about systems. Um, And the systems themselves are the things that, that because nobody is changing them, they never become changed. Uh, The systems themselves are repressive. Now, in this case, there is an avatar of those systems. It's good old Anander Banani. (laughs) And it's sort of just the the ancillaries as a whole. You know, they are the they are the embodiment of that systemic oppression, right? Right. Well, and I think that how how interesting is that to cast soldiers as ideally faceless? Um, that even soldiers who are not ancillaries clearly try to act like ancillaries. Uh huh. Like they try to be impassive. They try to follow orders. They try to show no emotion because the ideal is to, to have no identity to, to serve the state. You must have no identity and yeah. that's desirable. That's something that people want to do in order to advance. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm having my mind widened in this in this very <laughs> podcast well i think i i just think it's a great book i think ann lecky has put a lot of thought into like what are empires and how do they perpetuate themselves dis without having to resort to sort of counter propaganda um she doesn't need to portray the ratch as a bunch of slavering huns so to speak. Yeah. And I'm not saying that pejoratively, I'm referencing the pejorative, you know, that when you look at like world war, uh, propaganda posters, they, they make, uh, Germans look like gorillas, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, ble- dripping blood and being very rapacious. Um, and Lecky doesn't do that. The individuals, Sivarden is clearly someone who has been hurt and he has every reason to be justified in his hurt. Um, the, Lieutenant on is, is very sweet and very capable. Uh, Lieutenant Skyat um, clearly wants to do good things and elevate people. They're all good, except for the system that corrupts those good impulses into more annexation and more oppression. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really perceptive uh, of the way that States can harness good intentions, uh, to accomplish things that erase identity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think it's a sort of a product of the, of the writing being, um, being, you know, being well-written, but also uh, being a bit more nebulous that it does not feel like there is a clear, uh, a clear villain, you know, like, like you mentioned, those, those soldiers we meet, uh, you know, even our, our main character, our Breck has affection for 
you know, many of them and, and knows them and, um, and we don't see them as evil cogs in the machine or anything like that. You know, we, um, and even, even in the final, uh, the final confrontation with Anander, um, well, I, I guess the, 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 the two Ananders, uh, where Brett has to choose, you know, there's, there's hesitation and there's a point where, okay, you know, eventually Breck makes the decision, but there's some, uh, there's some questioning. Well, I think there's a pretty obvious villain and it's Anander Banani. <laughs> and also in that last scene, I don't think Breck did have a choice. She was basically um, programmed to shoot the one on the left. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, do we think that Breck got what she wanted or was she once again um, had her good intentions twisted to suit the purposes of an imperial figure? I, I think she I think she got what she wanted overall, even though it, I mean, she wanted to shoot the one that first messed with her. And I think she did. Or no, I no, I think no. <gasps> Oh my gosh. Oh so no. I think she might have shot the second one. It seems to me that the second one, the one that we met that blew her up and was a jerk down to and was like killed Lieutenant on, that that was the one on the left. You know, the same yeah, side I, of I, that one. I think we get a sense that she did kill one of the, the Ananders that she was after. Yeah. Right. The, and, the bad side of Anander Manani. Because the rest Anander of Anander Manani. <laughs> you know, started to hunt her down. And... But I, I but I think there is a good question there. And and I think that it is deliberate that um she so was this was this civil war inevitable anyway? And if so, did she end up benefiting one side over the other to kind of give them an advantage? Um I do think that it is trying to raise a question that I don't think in this book it is answered. I don't think her ultimate act is one where she is expressing uh, like moral agency. I, I think she is being compelled. Yeah. Which, which actually puts a really dark spin on the entire book that the figure that, and first of all, she, I, I love what you said, Brock, about uh, even, even Breck being very decent because the very first act were shown is her being selfless and helping somebody mm -hmm. right. that she, that she really shouldn't help. Cause you know, Cyvarden's a dick um, <laughs> and an addict and an addict. Right. And he steals all her money and stuff. Trouble. But, but I think that it is telling that, that yes, she gets her revenge. She gets her revenge more than she could have fathomed. Yeah. She, she basically is going to kill millions of Ananders by having succeeded. Yeah. Right. Um, that said, she has still advantaged Anander um, <laughs> like within a system like this. And I think this is, again, a statement on something like an empire. There's almost no way to not benefit the system. Uh, even resisting the system somehow perpetuates the system. That's, that's the brilliance of that machine. Uh, it's very Orwellian in that sense that, that even the resistance uh, sparks new vigor Right. It's still useful to the machine. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, we don't see the outcome, obviously. There are two more books, which, which uh, Summer and I have read. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, we liked this enough that we did finish this trilogy. Yeah, and I'm really interested in reading um, Anne Leckie's Provenance, which is a, it, it's not a sequel, but it's set in the same universe and apparently mm. references the outcome of the trilogy. Oh, that's oh. cool cool is that out it is oh. yeah you and i might want to read it oh, yeah. uh, brock did you like this enough that you would want to read two more books um if i were to tell you that there that the two extra books are about 70 percent breck sitting down and having long conversations <laughs> over tea oh wow. wow is that what they are i, I remember they're not quite as good this is definitely the best of the three yeah but it's still, I mean, it's the same story and it continues with Breck. Well, you're pitching it like that. I mean, my finger was hovering over the nah. add to cart button. <laughs> but, well, uh, it maybe... depends, on how, depends on how much you want to read it. I mean, we re liked him enough that we did read the other two. 
maybe I'll move that finger over to the Wikipedia button. Yeah, there's a, there's a, someone, I read somewhere where someone referred to it as like Jane Austen in space for the last two books. Oh, interesting. And I, and I, and I don't know if that's entirely wrong. There's a little more action, but there are a lot of. No one gets betrothed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No one gets like super hot for Darcy. Yeah, there's no I, Mr. Darcy. There's no Mr. Wickham's. <laughs> I like Jane Austen a lot, so. That well, might... hey, Bra- Brock, if you like Jane Austen. You might like the And other you two. also like space people shooting each other. Yeah. Hey. With Garcetti guns. Yeah, you. <laughs> With Pres you are going to get so horny for the next two <laughs> ancillary books. Oh, I'm there. Amazing. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So it, it sounded like on your second read, uh, you you liked this. You you felt like it held up quite well. Yeah. Um, I, I read the, you know, I almost, while I was reading it, thought, man, I gotta like, I gotta see if there's a strategy guide or something for, for this <laughs> book. Because, Where's uh, the cliff notes? Yeah, exactly. And I, I didn't. But... It like puts it all in order for you. Like yeah. here's when Breck was ancillary justice and everything that happens. And here's yeah, when yeah. she's Breck. <laughs> No, but well, one, of the, one of the things that the timing just made no sense to me was so it tells that story of the of the guy who would not open fire on the rur, uh-huh. uh, yeah, or the rar, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I love and I like that point because it, it's making this point that it, it brings that up again and again that if you refuse orders, you just die, and then the order happens anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So so how do you resist? And then it gives you these little moments of resistance where this officer who defied orders, well, he's going to be killed. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ur are going to turn him <laughs> over. Um, <laughs> so, so did his act matter at all? Um, well, it did because it basically started all of this. Yeah. And I, I think that is interesting that, that despite having sort of a bleak ending, or at least you could read it that way for that person, there is still hope yeah. of change you know, um, two thousand years later. <laughs> why wasn't that one more recent? Was it? Maybe it was okay. Maybe it was a thousand. Because the Garcetti Rebellion was like two thousand years ago. Lieutenant On was like nineteen years ago. But I thought the that the ship with Ur that they were supposed to kill was like really recent. Okay, maybe two hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I this being Anne Leckie's. Uh, big first book i was conf- I, I i don't think it's all intentional some of the lack of clarity <laughs> no <laughs> no i think i think there are moments when um jumping back and forth where i'm not sure which back she's jumping to yeah whatevs i got it all <laughs> oh, okay. i'm just kidding as you, as you just, just told kidding. us the wrong timeline i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> Wait, maybe it was 50 years ago. I'm just kidding. I know. I know. <laughs> but you've got the pronunciation. That's what's really important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that's really, those were my, my discussion notes. Um, this was, this one was really, a, I, I feel like a, uh, I mean, I think I said this already. I th- it was a rewarding uh, read. It was kind of had to had to dig for the meat but uh but yeah i enjoyed it well good me too mm-hmm. yes i enjoyed it immensely yeah well do you have anyone else have any other discussion points nope okay well well thanks guys that was fun yeah it was fine work yeah our plan for next time i'm not gonna say next month that seems really wrong of me to say ambitious yeah we i always say next month and it it always ends up being like two or three months later anywho the next time we convene we will be discussing the book a memory called empire by arcady martin so there you go 
read along with us. If you like. Yes, please. Join us, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Space Fifth Bookspace. Yay. At gmail.com. Email us. Oh, yeah, that. Questions. Yeah, you, can, you can email us questions or comments about the reading if you want to be included in the discussion. Please do. Okay. Are we done? Yeah. Thank you for joining us in the Space Biff book space. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. Join us next month for another discussion. And in the meantime, you can email us at spacebiffbookspace at gmail.com. Asking for a friend! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>